Hello, greetings from Bondek. In our seventh podcast, we sit down with Mrs. Jamie Bauer, head of our young persons community, to discuss, to discuss a single crucial topic, namely, how to create a Montessori home environment. Mrs. Bauer, hello. Hello. Would you like to introduce the idea of the home environment and the school environment, and maybe kind of address why consistency is helpful between the two? Yes. Um... The Montessori home environment and the Montessori school environment look a little bit different, but they have a lot of carryover. Um, the Montessori home environment is more tailored to a family, and any family can choose to do as little or as much Montessori as as they feel comfortable. Um, and as it becomes more of a lifestyle for them, then it just seems natural. And at, in the school, we have... Um, a set guideline of what we teach and we have certain objects on the shelves always and so um, these things go in order of the child's development and that's not necessarily true at home you can have things that are um, whatever you have at home works really have I ever told you June and I have only children's furniture at home that's that's great. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> um, so th- that's great. That's a really helpful yeah. introduction. Um, there's kind of a lot of theory out there around around this topic, um, but we kind of thought it might be helpful to get down to the nitty gritty. Yeah. And we discussed before. Maybe we can just walk listeners through on three different areas. Uh, maybe we can start with the kitchen. Mm-hmm. What should par- families at home? have for the kids in the kitchen? Um, So in order to allow your child to be independent in the kitchen, some things that we do at school are having them pack pack up their lunches, um, they feed themselves with forks and spoons, they take care of spills. If they spill some milk on the floor, they're able to go get a cloth or a mop and clean it up. Um, So to have these kind of things in a low cupboard in your kitchen are very helpful. A low cupboard, you can hang some hooks in there so a child can have a cloth for cleaning, maybe a sponge for wiping up tables. They can have their own silverware, even child-sized silverware and um, dishes so that they can, if they want a snack or if they want to eat at a small table, um, they're able to do all of this successfully. So some families even have like a small pitcher for pouring milk or um, small containers for serving themselves food and snack. Yeah. Parents are kind of overwhelmed when they come and they observe our yeah. classroom and they see children using real physical mm-hmm. objects, like glass, for example. Yes. Do you have any advice for parents on how to implement that at home? I think the biggest thing for me is letting go of my attachment to it. It's just an object, and if it breaks, yeah. it breaks. <laughs> but one of the biggest things we do here is to teach um, the child how to care for it and when they really feel that it's real glass, their body knows I need to be careful with this because it really can break. And when they see something break, some the same object rarely breaks again because they know that they need to take care when they handle it. Right. Yeah. I was just reading Montessori describe this in terms of furniture. And one of the examples that she gave is when she first started, all the furniture in the classroom was too big and bulky. Mm-hmm. And when children bumped into it, it wouldn't be able to be moved. Yeah. Um, but she said she wanted uh, light furniture so they could pick it up and, and, and move it together for mm-hmm. purposeful work. But it also showed that there was a consequence to bumping into things, which mm-hmm. I think is an important thing for us to, yes. to consider. So that's the kitchen. How about the bedroom? The bedroom. Um, Montessori is famous for implementing something called a floor bed, which not many families do. Um, and when you have a school-aged child, it's not as important. But for a child to have a bed that they can get in and out of on their own is so important because when an adult wakes up, they know, I'm awake, it's time to get up and start my day. And if a child has the same freedom... 
Um, they'll feel so independent and so confident in their bedroom. But some other things that they can have in the bedroom would be a low dresser or a low shelf um, near the dresser with maybe some different clothing options that are seasonal. So if it's wintertime, a couple pairs of pants, a couple socks, a couple long sleeve shirts, and the child is able then to choose their own outfit, but um, they don't have this overwhelming option of the whole dresser filled with all of the clothes that they yes, have. Yes, um, I see June's face every morning and yep, she's overwhelmed by it's all the overwhelming. <laughs> It is. Um, and some other things in the bedroom would be maybe a low bookshelf so the child can read to themselves or look at a book if they are awake early or need some help getting to sleep. And also a low shelf with some toys, like a few stuffed animals or a few books. Um, is coloring. it helpful to rotate those out frequently? It is. It's or? very helpful. So the child doesn't get bored um, because it's not fun when you when you only have two options and those are your only two options. Then you want to find creative ways to have yes. fun. So <laughs> as much as you can rotate them out is good. Sure. And, yeah. and why is that a better method than having it in like a basket? So for example, when right. I was a kid, I had this giant basket and yep. I don't even know what was all I in there. I had a toy box that I like had to crawl into <laughs> because it was so big. Um Again, overwhelming. It's a child can't feel confident in like I remember I would there would be toys at the bottom of my toy box that I'd completely forgotten about and um it's more exciting when you kind of when you don't have access to something. And if you can confidently say, Okay, I would like to color, here are where my colors are, I know how to get them, I know how to put them back rather than um this like chaotic toy box where there's no order and one of the big things we're trying to do here is instill order within the child. So outward order helps to create inward order. Yeah, that's kind of amazing. Like yeah, it? it is. We try to carry it over everywhere we can, but yep. of course we can complete it at school, but at home it mm-hmm. sometimes fails. Yes. For us, personally. <laughs> um, you have a wonderful phrase that we were talking about before. I yeah. really, really liked it. Uh, which is essentially that, you know, we live in a society that's um, not created for children necessarily. Mm-hmm. And safety is always a big concern, which it should be. And right. Of course, we take safety very seriously. But you say child-centered, not child-proof. Mm-hmm. Can you elaborate on what exactly you mean by this distinction? Yeah. Uh, like you said, so much of our focus is safety. And many adults think that Child-proofing is the way to get a child to not touch what you don't want them to touch or to not explore with things that you don't want them to explore with. But we believe that if the child's world um, fits them, so having small tables, small chairs, things that they can carry and use functionally, it will keep them satisfied. They won't need to explore with things that you don't want them to, like scissors or something. Um... When they are ready for scissors, then they can have them rather than keeping them in a drawer that doesn't open. Allow for small drawers that they can open with objects that they can use. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so one of the themes here that keeps coming up is, um, you know, child size. It's smaller. Mm -hmm. It's uh, appropriate for them. But one of the questions we're often asked, and I'd love to hear your thoughts on, is, you know, children are ultimately going to grow up. They're going to live in a world that there's only one size toilet and it's one size fit all, which is adult. Why is it is it beneficial to have things made specifically for children, and why? There are so many reasons. Um, I can't wait to hear them. It's so <laughs> beneficial. Um, first of all, it's so great because children are developing these motor skills, and if they're able to use something that is built for them, like a small um, a small broom, I think 
it's allowing them to use this grasp that they don't get to use other places. And this ultimately leads to their handwriting. Um, and so all of these things are kind of just like readiness for big goals in life. And if things are made for a child and their child size, then like it's just helping their physical development as well as their emotional development and their um, cognitive development. So they can, uh, something about our materials is that they correct themselves. A lot of the puzzles and things, it will show if it's not in the right place. But when it's made for a child and it's child-sized, it's so easy for them to see that. And they're, again, just building up that order and their confidence. Um, and I like to talk to parents sometimes when we have conferences and they come and sit on their teeny tiny little chairs and I'm like, do you feel comfortable like this? And it's just so important to flip that and say like, would you feel comfortable in a world that wasn't made for you? Yes. And could we be successful at work if we had teeny tiny chairs or way too big chairs? Um, yes. J and June often laments the fact that we only have one lawnmower at home and it's yep. a big orange one and it doesn't fit her. Doesn't so fit she her. wants a little tiny pink one. Yep. So I don't know if it's an excuse that she doesn't want to mow the lawn <laughs> or it's my story. Yes. So... It just makes children feel so confident when they have things that are their size. And You keep bringing up this word confidence. Can yes. you tell me? It seems like it's so important, but what is it? What, what, is, confidence. what is confidence for children? Um, it's the feeling of, I did it. I can do it. And one of my favorite things that I hear in our classroom is, I did it. Even if, <laughs> even if I did 90% of it and the child did 10%, when they feel that confidence, it um, inspires them to work even more. Um, so there's this thing called the cycle of work, and um, once a child explores with the work, they repeat it, and as they repeat it, they grow their confidence, and as when, they, when their confidence has grown, then they're able to branch out and do more work, and more work, and become more successful, and if we can do this at a young age, why not? Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. uh, that's a great point. Um, mistakes in the real world are often really consequential, mm -hmm. and I try to picture like a child making a big mistake because it's an environment that's not suited for them. And then they lose their confidence. And right. they, they, can you describe for us the importance of children having the ability to mm -hmm. make mistakes? It's so important because that's how we learn. And um, even as adults, we make a mistake and we learn from it and we grow from that. And if a child is able to um, have that concrete experience of doing something wrong, then the next time they'll have that built up and they'll know what to change, how to do it better, how to make it right. Yeah. And I think of the example of a child pouring um, the basin of water from hand washing into the bucket, which then they carry to the sink. And so many children on their first try will completely miss the bucket and pour water all <laughs> over the floor. And then they get to clean it up and then they try again next time. And they're always so much more successful the second time because they've been able to see, oh, if I don't hold it against the bucket, it's going to spill onto the floor. And um, so they know what to do. Yeah. yeah. There's a number of uh, things, obviously, that uh, June and I and everyone else here deeply admire about you. And one of them is patience. You're, mm -hmm. You have, like, a phenomenal sense of patience, <laughs> which is incredible. This maybe not with all the teachers. But, yeah. <laughs> um, but can, can you maybe articulate for us how you see that carrying over to the home environment? Because, I mean, so many parents... I mean, the reality is we are busy lives. Yes. And then we get home and we don't have time mm -hmm. to to tie shoelaces or wait for our, for our child to practice for 30 minutes before right. we have to run to the grocery store before it closes. Yep. So can you talk about like how 
patience is developed at home? Yeah, um, I think sometimes it takes fixing a schedule a little bit, allowing more time in the mornings or in the evenings for a child to work on getting dressed or getting undressed. Um, and even just five minutes here, ten minutes there, it will allow you to sit on your hands and watch your child put on their <laughs> shoes on the wrong feet and wonder why they're not going on. Um, and just as you see your child develop and grow, you'll be able to, I think, in use more patience in everyday situations. Um, as you see them trying and eager to be successful, I think the desire for the parent to want their child to be more successful happens. Um, right. At least that's what I experience. Yes, yeah. absolutely. Uh, two, two more quick questions for you, and then, and then we'll let our listeners go for today. Uh, the first one, it's a little bit of a challenge. Um, we've addressed a little bit of it, but I thought maybe we could dive a little bit deeper, which is that you know, we allow complete independence at Bondek because we've created the optimal conditions yes. for them to explore. Like we've been talking about, like you know, the scissors are just their size, the plates are just their size, the furniture is just their mm-hmm. weight, um, and, and all that. Yet the outside world is not the same. So, so how do we, with equipping children with confidence and independence, how do we best prepare them to encounter the world? Um, or did I just answer my question? I think you just, you kind of answered it as you were talking. I think giving them the confidence, um, we do as much as we can here to prepare them. And we are building confident children who can go out into the world and be confident and know that even if I don't get it right, I'm going to do my best. And, um, yeah, that's what we do here. And we're making really brilliant, confident children who are going to grow up to do amazing things because they're not afraid of trying. Right. And we what a powerful them, thought. Yeah, we give them the opportunity to try. Yeah. Yeah. So w- w- the last question, which is probably the, the most complex in a way, which is that um, you know, at Bondek we kind of pride ourselves on being a, a little bit different. We have a different mm-hmm. attitude because I, the way we've always described it is we're creating a bridge to meet families where they are. Yes. And so there's this idea that the home environment and the school environment need to be 100% in unison. And while for us that would be the ideal conditions, it's not the absolute necessary conditions Mm -hmm. for us to be able to have the opportunity to work with children. And I'd just love to hear your thoughts on on how you see yourself reaching out. I mean, you're starting the very first uh, toddler community, young person's community in the state of South Dakota. It's it's magical. And you're suddenly in a position where you have to reach out to families that don't otherwise might not otherwise know what Montessori is. Mm -hmm. How how do you do that? I think the children do the best job of doing that. Um, If I can give an example. Absolutely. Last year, one of our children, um, she started in January, and at our end-of-the-year party, they came up to me and they said, we have to tell you this story. And um, this little girl had been mimicking the way we do snack at school, and every night when her family would have supper... They, she would make them move tables together because they had a few small work tables for her. So they would move all of the tables together like we did for snack. And one by one, they would put out a napkin like a placemat. And then she would get to choose who was the plate helper. And she would have her family um, do different jobs just like we did at, at snack time at school. And they were so blown away by this because her need for consistency carried over to, to their home without them even having to do it. Um, and I think children are the way we bridge that gap because they're going to be learning things here at school that they're going to bring home, um, which in turn makes parents curious and makes parents want to be more involved in what we do. 
Um, and helpful and, then, and more patient yeah, and exactly, all these things you were describing exactly. before. Exactly. And as that builds up, then it comes back to school and it's just cyclical. And I think yeah. we keep we keep doing our best at school so that it can go home. And That's awesome. Yeah. Children are amazing catalysts for us all and yep. in, in inspiration. Well, thank you, Mrs. Bauer, for joining us. Yes. And thank you all for listening in. We really enjoy these podcasts. And uh, we look forward to chatting with you again soon. Thanks.